Hey, for those of you who uh, don't know me or haven't had a chance to, to get to know my family, um, my name is Tony Weedle. My wife, Erin, uh, and I have been attending Countryside here for the last 15 or more years now. And uh, we have one daughter, Isabella. She's a freshman in high school. And so if we haven't had a chance to meet after the service or sometime in the weeks to come, let's be sure to catch up in the hall. Well, this morning is going to be part two in a mini-sermon series on grace and truth. Last week, uh, Pastor Jeremy got us started off on the importance of speaking truth from a position of grace as he unpacked the story of the woman caught in adultery in John chapter 8. And as I was listening to Jeremy's sermon last week, I was encouraged because I had uh, already prepared some draft notes and a rough outline for for what God was laying on my heart to share this morning. And um, there's a lot of similar themes. So spoiler alert this morning, the approach is going to be a little bit different. So we're going to talk about our mission statement. We're going to talk about uh, some of the teaching of the Apostle Paul. And then as the sermon uh, is titled, A Promise for You, we're going to conclude with that. But I can uh, tell you that the end result is going to be the same as last week. The outcome is this, that we should speak truth from a position of grace. So as I began to contemplate on what to share, it was uh, several weeks ago that my mind went back to a worship team rehearsal. You see, on Thursday nights, we gather together for worship team rehearsal. I'm a part of the production team in the back. And as uh, the band members were wrestling through a key change or something like that, my mind wandered to this banner up here on the wall that says, Growing in Grace and Truth. And as I thought about that phrase, I wondered how our church might look differently if we more fully embrace this idea of growing in grace and truth. And I began to think about all the challenges and controversies we've had in our community over the last few years. And while there has been some truth and some grace shared, I think there has been a lot of mistruths and often not a lot of grace shared. We have disagreed over masks, vaccines, school bonds, school board member recalls. We disagreed on politics and so on. And while I'm not going to address those issues this morning, specifically that are happening outside of the walls of the church, I feel like many of those issues have encroached or spilled over onto our church family. We might be more polite about it here on Sunday mornings, or maybe more accurately defined as being passive-aggressive. But nevertheless, right, there's still tension and division. We can feel that. And why is that? Well, for starters, we have different versions or interpretations of the truth, on various topics. I'm not talking about the truth here. I'm talking about other truths that are out there in the world. And, and at times we simply do not agree. And to the further detriment of society, one thing the internet has done a tremendously good job of is make it easy uh, for us to look up an opinion that agrees with our point of view. Thanks to our friends on social media or thanks to Google, we can find that in fact we are on the right side of truth, regardless of how crazy our ideas might be. If you need proof of how easy it is to find a story that agrees with your side of the truth, after the service today, go to foxnews.com and cnn.com. I can assure you they will have the same five headlines. I mean, they'll be worded differently, but the topics will be the same. They will even quote the same facts, and they will uh, be referencing the same reports. But as you read the article on each website, you will come to a vastly different conclusion on what is happening in the world. We're left to realize, a prudent person is left to realize that the truth probably is likely somewhere in the middle. The other challenge we're facing is that we're only offering and sharing our truths many times in such a fashion as to win the disagreement rather than in such a way to maintain relationship. 
Being right and winning seems to be all that matters in this world that we are living in. Uniformity rather than unity seems to be the goal. We've forgotten that Stephen Covey principle from the 90s, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He says, seek first to understand and then to be understood. So again, as I began to think about what to share, God brought to mind those thoughts that were kind of wrestling through my head during that worship team rehearsal. And I began to process through the questions of how are we to be growing in grace and truth at Countryside? After all, it's in our mission statement. And how is it that Jesus was able to boldly tell the truth and do so in a grace-filled way? How am I supposed to share the truth of the gospel message to someone who doesn't know Jesus? I don't want to offend them, and I don't want to hurt them, and yet I also can't let them stay in darkness. Oh, and what am I supposed to do with my brother or sister in Christ, who in my opinion has discerned the wrong position on human sexuality, or abortion, or marriage, or gun rights, or whatever it might be? As I've thought about it, I get the feeling that we accept grace and love in theory but we deny it in practice. I want to say that again. We accept grace and love in theory, but many times we deny it in practice. We see this practically as our culture has adopted slogans like, there's no such thing as a free lunch. You get what you deserve. You want money? Work for it. You want mercy? Show you deserve it. Do unto others before they do unto you. Or maybe when you were growing up, you were told that God only loves good little boys and girls. If you misbehave, if you don't follow the truth, the implication is you might just lose God's love. Friends, grace is most notably absent from these statements, and it is hard to support these statements. In fact, I think we should reject them. Why? Because truth and grace go together. In fact, this morning I'm going to contend that they are synonymous. And they must also be in balance. The tagline, Growing in Grace and Truth of Our Lord Jesus Christ, it's been a part of our mission statement here at Countryside for 10, 15 years. I'm not sure how long. Even though we've tweaked the wording over the years. The current statement says this. It says, We are a community growing in the grace and truth of Jesus as we worship, disciple, serve, and multiply. So it is an outflow of the grace and truth in our hearts that we stand ready to do those things, to worship, disciple, and serve. The result then is the multiplication of the body of Christ. It is out of an abundance of grace and truth that the fruit of our ministry begins to be seen. And yet, I don't know about you, but I feel like there is tension in this statement of grace and truth. It's hard for me to find balance in my life. There are times when I am full of grace, and I just let the truth kind of slide away. And then there are, every, there are other times when my hand is strong and the truth is strong. And I am void of any kind of grace. Often I feel like I'm just a giant collection of paradoxes. I believe and then I doubt. I hope and then I get discouraged. I love and then I hate. I'm trusting and then I'm suspicious. I'm honest and then I'm coy. Collectively, as Christians... The broader Christian church, we have our own paradoxes. Oftentimes we claim to value peace, but we are not peacemakers. We claim to value restraint, but we are increasingly explosive. We claim to love our enemies, but we are content to eviscerate them online. We claim to value sincerity, but we are mesmerized by the hope of this, in the hype of this world. We claim to value humility, but we are champions of our own narcissism. The tension here is palpable. 
The tension is real, and that is the same kind of tension when I try to, to, to speak both grace and truth to someone. Friends, this morning, grace and truth are under attack in this country. Grace and truth are under attack in our community, and yes, even inside the walls of our church. And I believe it is our duty, not because these words are in our mission statement, but I believe Scripture calls each and every one of us to show everyone we encounter how to speak truth in love. How to balance truth and grace. Because truth equals grace. You cannot have truth without grace, and you cannot have any grace without some truth supporting it. But you say, Tony, aren't we supposed to be passionate about our witness, be bold as we share the truth? And my response is, absolutely. Absolutely. Every letter the Apostle Paul wrote is full of passion. It is full of truth. And some of it was very hard truth. And yet Paul was always filled with a humble and gentle and patient and kind, loving attitude. In the letter Paul wrote to the church in Galatia, he demonstrates just how important it is for us to confront sin, but to do so humbly and gently and by taking responsibility for ourselves while at the same time bearing, uh, bearing with others and being patient with them. You see, the church in Galatia was not like the other churches we read about in the Bible. Galatia did not have the issues of idolatry or sexual immorality like we see in Corinth, for example. But they had their own issues. You see, the church was starting to slip back into the Jewish uh, traditions of strict adherence to the keeping of festivals, to the ancient traditions, to circumcision, and so on. The church in Galatia was taking the freely unearned gift of God's love found in Jesus, and they were, uh, they were trying to gain God's love and acceptance by their own merits. Earlier in chapter 3 of this letter uh, to the Galatians, Paul has just reminded them that there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. Everyone who belongs in Christ is an heir to the promise of salvation. But as Paul looked around, all of the church structures and all of the rules and how the church was interacting with other people, they were creating barriers and ultimately it was harming the church. So Tony, how bold should we be in our witness, how bold should we be about the truth? Listen to these words from Paul, because I think you will find that he is very bold. And at the same time, I think you will find some humility and gentleness to him. Paul says this, Galatians chapter 4, verse 8. He says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning your back to those weak and miserable forces? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing these special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. Listen to Paul here. He says, I plead with you, brothers and sisters. Become like me, for I became like you. You did me no wrong, he says. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. And even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcome me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. Where then is your blessing of me now? I can testify that then, if you could have done so, you would have torn your eyes out and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy because I am telling you the truth? Can you feel Paul's pain here? These, those people, they're zealous to win you over, he says, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may have zeal for them. 
It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always, not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed for you. I am perplexed for you. Notice here, the Apostle Paul, he is passionate about the truth, but he's at his wit's end. Paul is confronting their sin of putting in structures and rules that will stifle the church. But also notice here that Paul, he was humble in the middle of that passage that we read. And he reminds them of his weakness. He is also respectful and he is gentle. However, Paul's passion for their hearts and the health of the church is overwhelming. Paul wants everyone to know the love of Christ, no matter where you have come from, no matter what your background might be. And it's for good reason that Paul was preaching this to the church in Galatia. Because time and time again, Jesus modeled for us that the gospel is just as much for the religiously proper and elite as the gospel is for the wretched sinner. And we see this modeled so perfectly last week with Jesus' encounter uh, with the woman who was caught in adultery. And this morning, I want to walk through another encounter with Jesus when he encountered the Samaritan woman at the water well. To set up the story, it's important to know here that the Samaritans were considered a half-breed of people. They were half-Jew and half-Gentile. The religious proper Jews of Jesus' time wanted nothing to do with the Samaritans. The Jews knew the truth, or so they thought, and they had no time for anyone who didn't get it, anyone who didn't understand it. And yet Jesus comes to speak and to teach and to minister to the people of Samaria just like he came to speak and teach and minister to the people of Jerusalem. At first glance, the Samaritans, they had to think that this Jesus guy was likely going to be just another Jew who wants nothing to do with them, who thinks awful and terrible things about them. I'm sure in today's language they were thinking something along the lines of, buckle up, here comes a whole lot of truth and not a lot of grace for us. But Jesus is still able to approach them and teach them. Jesus is able to knock down the wall of distrust and animosity. And while we may not know every detail of their conversation in John chapter 4, what we do know is that Jesus, he befriended this Samaritan woman. And Jesus most definitely challenged her sinful way of life. He spoke truth. But here's the crazy thing. After the brief dialogue with Jesus, the woman gets up and she runs back to their hometown. And when she arrives in her hometown, she tells everyone she can to come and meet a man who told me everything that I have ever done wrong. And yet he still loves me, and he cares for me. He offers me life-giving water and unconditional grace. I'm sure she was walking around saying, I am forgiven. The end result in verse 39 of John chapter 4 is that many Samaritans believed and followed Jesus as a result of this woman's testimony. And so when I think about our mission statement, we are growing in grace and truth as we worship, as we serve others, as we disciple each other. And what happens? The body of Christ becomes multiplied. Only when truth is shared with an equal amount of grace do we find these kinds of success stories. And only when this body of believers right here at Countryside share truth with an equal amount of grace will we be able to share the good news of Jesus to the McPherson community and beyond because they they desperately need to hear that message. So how does Jesus do this? 
How does Jesus speak the truth in love? How does He speak truth with grace? Question for you. How do you know if you are speaking the truth in love to the people you encounter each week? In difficult conversations, how are you ensuring that what you are sharing comes from a posture of both truth and grace? This morning, I've got three points of application for you to consider. And the first one is this. You must check yourself and be certain you are not operating in a bubble or a silo. Get out of your bubble. And what do I mean by this? When I've had the opportunity to talk to people uh, about leadership skills, one of the important aspects that a leader must have is to have a full understanding of all of the different perspectives that exist. Really, you must be able to argue the other person's position better than they can even argue it themselves. Because, and why is that important? Because it means that you've spent time listening and understanding. It means that you are aware of the Spirit's presence in their life, and you are aware of the Spirit's presence in your own life. That you will most likely have some empathy and grace for their position. It also means that you might even be willing to adjust your position. Now, of course, I'm not talking about adjusting your core beliefs and your core values, because honestly, the core beliefs and the core values are rarely what we're in disagreement about. Oftentimes, what we are arguing about are the minor underlying issues at play. In January, I had to get out of my bubble when I went to Chicago for a class. I got to see and experience life in the inner city of Chicago from the perspective of various racial minorities. Now, obviously, I'm a white man. And so the lived experience that I have here in Kansas, in rural Kansas, is much different than the lived experience of those who are living in the urban core of Chicago. And one of the things that I learned was that even though we have our differences, and some of our differences are vastly different, even though we have those differences, I was surprised how much we actually have in common when we take time to get out of our own bubble, to hear somebody else's perspective, to listen to someone else and begin to build relationship. And that's what we see from the Apostle Paul in our text from Galatians 4. Paul is begging and pleading with the church in Galatia to get out of their own bubble, to get out of their own perspectives. No longer is truth defined by all of the historical Jewish rules and customs and festivals, but truth is now defined by grace and love for all of humanity. Grace and love is not reserved just for the perfect or the elite, but grace and love have come for Jew and for Greek, male and for female, rich and for poor, Republicans and for Democrats, for blacks and for whites. It doesn't matter. It has come for all. No matter what side of the coin you are on, no matter which perspective you have, Jesus came to save us all. It's time to fully welcome and embrace the person on the other side of the coin. It's time to get out of our own bubble, to get out of our own silo and begin to fully grasp the perspective of others. Number two, a relationship must exist before advocacy begins. A relationship must exist before advocacy begins. Jesus, once again, he models very perfectly this point. Notice that Jesus didn't go and start lecturing the woman at the well right out of the gate about all of her sinful ways. No. 
Rather, he sat down and began to have a relationship with her. He got to know her. And as the discussion developed, he began to have the harder conversation. And while we don't know everything that was said, we certainly know what the woman's response was. And we've got to keep that in mind in Scripture. Sometimes we don't have all the details, but the answer we have is in the response. And what was her response? She ran all the way home and she told everybody she could see to come and meet a man who told me everything that I've ever done wrong. And yet he still loves me. And he still cares for me. It's clear that both truth and grace had to be key elements of the discussion. Jesus, no question he shared truth. And no question he shared grace. And equally as important, I might argue this morning, is that the woman received the truth. And this Samaritan woman definitely received the grace of her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I submit to you this morning that none of this would have been possible if Jesus didn't first model for us the importance of establishing the relationship. And that's what Paul was also telling of us. I really wanted to go through Ephesians chapter 4 if we skip forward to the next book in the Bible because many times when people come up to me, they say, Tony, I've got to boldly tell the truth. Scripture tells me I have to boldly tell the truth. And they come to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, and it says, We must speak the truth. Many times they forget speaking the truth in love. We need to remind ourselves. But we've got to go back to the top of the chapter. In verse 2, how are we to speak the truth in love? We're to do it humbly and gently by being patient, by doing so in love, by trying to have unity of the Spirit that keeps the bond of peace together. That's how we're supposed to speak truth in love. It begins with relationship. If we had time this morning, and if you read all the way through chapter 4, you'll notice that Paul doesn't say we have a unilateral license to speak truth. Rather, Paul is modeling for us the importance of having a relationship. Of having a relationship with those who that we are speaking the truth with. So when it is spoken, so when that truth is spoken, hopefully it comes from a posture of love and of grace. And finally, point number three. The end goal should always be keeping a seat open at the table. Even if the other person walks away, always remember to keep a seat open at your table for them. Sometimes the truth is hard. And the person on the other end who is receiving that truth doesn't want to hear it. Even when we've tried to get out of our own bubble, to get out of our silo, to try to understand their perspective, even when we've had a relationship for a long period of time, for whatever reason, the Spirit has convicted you of this truth and it must be shared then we must share that truth boldly. But we must share that truth in such a fashion as to always keep a seat at your table for them. Even though they don't want to hear it, even if they run away, regardless of what happens, you keep their seat ready. Because you never know how Jesus might use that thread of a relationship to point both of you back to His glory. So how important is leaving a seat open at the table? We've looked at our mission statement this morning. We've listened to what the Apostle Paul has to tell us about speaking truth and love. But the sermon title says, A Promise for You, and so that's what we're going to conclude with this morning. I want to conclude with what I think is one of the most powerful stories ever told in Scripture. Jesus shares with us the story about the prodigal son. 
But before I talk about it, I want to acknowledge something. There's some people in this room that have heard a lot of hard truth. And they feel like, you maybe feel like you haven't received much grace. Maybe that's from friends, or maybe it's from family, or maybe it's even from the church. And I hate that for you, and I'm sorry for that. Tragically, there maybe is even somebody here this morning who feels like all God has to tell you is truth, hard truth, and that God does not represent any kind of grace for you. Well, I hope this morning I can share this story from Scripture that will maybe begin to break down that wall, that barrier that you have between you and God. The story of the prodigal son is a story about a wayward son, but don't let the name fool you. The story is not about the son. The story is much more about the father. Jesus tells us the story to tell us about the father's love for each one of us. In the parable, the son wants to take his father's, uh, the portion of his father's wealth and run off and enjoy his inheritance. Again, we're not told, but I can only imagine that the father was speaking truth to the son. He was saying, son, you can't go off and waste these resources. Son, you need not embrace the vices and pleasures of this world. And yet, even though the truth was shared, the son still took off and he left his father. And while we don't know every detail, we know that when the son got to the end of his rope, when the son spent all of his inheritance, the son ultimately found himself eating food that was worse than what the pigs were getting to eat. It was at that moment that the son made a decision to return home. And it had to be a hard decision because the father not only told him not to leave, the father told him not to squander his wealth, and the father told him not to go off and do all of these wild, crazy things that the world wants you to enjoy. But here's the good news for us this morning. It's that the son still had a seat at the father's table. Each one of us here this morning have a seat at our Heavenly Father's table. Even though the son was caught up in wild living and likely did everything his father told him not to, grace still wins. Upon returning, the son was welcomed with open arms as the son begins to turn the corner. I imagine him kind of coming down our modern day driveways and there the father is with open arms and they have this wonderful embrace. And a wonderful celebration ensues. In fact, the father throws the biggest celebration he has ever thrown. And that is the image that we have of our Heavenly Father. It is the most perfect image of truth and of grace that I can think of to share with you this morning. That no matter what you have done, no matter how terrible your sin might be, no matter how many of the rules for righteous living you might have broken, there is a Father in Heaven who is longing for relationship with you. The scriptures are filled with his truth that righteous living is good. Righteous living is very good. But at the same time, all of the stories contained in this book are laced with an unfathomable amount of grace that is there to run to you, to embrace you, arms wide open, to wash you clean, to love and to care for you. The God of the universe, the creator of all things, the God who created each and every one of us in his image stands ready to cover you with truth and grace. And all we have to do this morning is simply respond. Kimmy's going to come up and sing a song for us. You know, when you prepare a message, it is hard to come up with a message that might apply for five, six hundred people over two services. 
So I know there are people here this morning that might say, your relationship with God is really tight. You're best buds right now. You're on a mountaintop experience. And if that describes you this morning, I want you to listen to this song. I want you to close your eyes, and I just want you to hang out with your best bud. Listen to the words of this song, the words of this song as the Father draws you in. And yet other of you this morning might say that you have a relationship with Jesus, that he's your Lord and Savior, but that you've heard a lot of really hard truths, that there's been a lot of uh, truth told to you, but very little grace shared. I want you to listen to the words of this song. Just close your eyes and hear the Father call you to himself. And yet others of you here this morning, and I mentioned it earlier, maybe have only heard of this God and you think, All God is, is a judge up in heaven, and he doesn't like me much. And maybe for the first time you've heard that there is truth, but there is also grace. And his grace is enough to cover you. Then I want you to close your eyes this morning, too, and listen to the words of our Heavenly Father drawing us close to him. Close, there's no reason to stand. 
God of the universe. He says, you're almost home now. Please, don't quit now. You are almost home to me. Friends, that is truth. And that is grace. God isn't in a bubble or silo. I want you to know this morning that he knows you and that he created you in his image, each and every one of us. I want you to know this morning that God isn't hiding from you, that God knows your heart and that God desires relationship with you. He is longing for that relationship. He is standing with his arms wide open saying, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Come to me if you're joyful and I too will give you rest. And never forget, as long as you live, never forget this, that God always keeps a seat open at his fellowship table with you. God's table has powerful truths, but it also has an unfathomable amount of grace and love to care for you no matter what your journey has been. Friends, his promises are true. His promises never fail. When I was a little boy, I had a Sunday school teacher tell me that this book, if you learn nothing else, just know that God is love. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that love always wins. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for the unconditional love that you've given each and every person here. God, that by your grace, we can come to the foot of the cross, we can come to the gates of heaven knowing that we are accepted just as we are no matter what we have done. God, that you love and that you care for us. God, we know that truth and grace are getting confused in this world, but we know that your scripture is full of truth. And it is full of grace. And it is more than enough for each and every one of us. Outside the walls of this church building, God, it, it is crazy. But for the next four minutes as we close with this worship song, God, I just ask that you remove the distractions that by your presence we can worship you. The God of the universe, the God that created each and every one of us. It is in the powerful name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.